I was thinking about my, uh, my grandfather. My grandfather was from Denmark, and he um, left Denmark during, uh, during the Nazi invasion and came up through Canada to the United States. And he had a Danish passport and, and was seeking his citizenship in America. And I can remember growing up asking him, you know, about his, his time when that happens. And, uh, and he forgot how to speak um, Danish. He forgot how to read it. He forgot all of this about, about, um, about where he came from. And I asked him, how could you forget those things? And he said, once I stepped foot in America, I, I lived in the light of my future American citizenship. And I didn't turn back. I considered myself an American once I got here. And so I started speaking um, English. I started acting as Americans. And, and he lived in light of his American citizenship, although he still had a Danish passport when he, when he came over here. And, and as Christians, we were called to live a life now in the light of our citizenship in heaven. And we have heavenly passports. And the practical implications of this citizenship changes everything here on this earth. The title of today's message is Joyful Citizenship. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Philippians 3.10. We're going to be looking at uh, 3.10 through 4.1. And this is where we're at. So Paul has, um, is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And he's just shifted um, back to this idea of rejoicing in Christ. And he just goes on and gives this, this resume of his, and he says, you know, if there was a reason to have confidence in the flesh, I would have that confidence because I was a spiritual superstar. But he says, I counted all loss for the sake of Christ. It's all about knowing Christ. And the joy that we have in Christ is not meant to be some philosophical, therapeutic coping mechanism. Instead, it's, it's meant to be lived out daily in our citizenship on this earth. And we're called to this higher purpose in Christ. And this would have had a big impact on the Philippians. The Philippians were Roman loyalists. They loved Rome. They were, it's a military town. And so they're struggling with being Roman citizens and also being citizens of heaven as those two things come in conflict with one another. And, they, and, and they're struggling with that. And I think this applies to us today because we, too, struggle with that. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at three aspects of our heavenly citizenship and how this is to be a practically, practically applied um, as everyday people of God here on this earth. So let me pray and ask God to just bless our time. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we could once again come to your word, your word of truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, illuminate your truth, teach us the things that we do not know. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to look at is our Christ-centered citizenship. Everything we do in this life is to know Christ more and prepare us for our future, future eternal home. And as Christ-centered citizens, we live empowered lives, not lives that are, are, are paralyzed. Verse 10, he says, I want you to know, I want you to experience Christ. Yes, to know, experience the power of his resurrection. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this power works within us 
so that we may desire to work according to God's will. It makes us holy. It helps us understand God, God's love and mercy, and it gives us strength to endure the hardships of life. We're not, we're not paralyzed. We're empowered. And as we live by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we go about our main business, which is knowing Christ. And this is why we're not paralyzed by our circumstances, because we have this power that's in us. It's real power. We're not slaves to our circumstances. Second, we see as Christ-centered citizens, we share in suffering instead of going at great lengths to avoid any feeling of discomfort. We have a society that's very much on, on, on if there's any discomfort felt, we'll do anything to avoid discomfort. That includes physical discomfort, mental discomfort. And here we see that Paul says, I want to know Christ just to know the power of his, his resurrection and, part, and participate or share in, in his sufferings and become like him in death. There's this idea of suffering, that this life, this Christian life, involves suffering, especially suffering for Christ. Jesus was the man of sorrows and when we encounter suffering, especially for being associated with him, we have the opportunity to experience Christ at a deeper level, and this produces joy. It turns everything upside down on what the world will say. The world will say, hey, if you feel any discomfort, you know, then it's wrong. But here we see that if we suffer, Christ somehow turns that into joy when we suffer for Christ. And I, and I know some of you are going, well, that's really easy to say, but what do you say to someone who's suffering? And I want to encourage you that suffering only makes sense within a Christ-centered context. It only makes sense. Because if, it, if, if Christ had not came and suffered and then rose again, and we, and, we don't, and we were not resurrected in him and empowered by him, then suffering would just be suffering, and it would be, there would be no, no end, there would be no reason for it. But in Christ, we see that there is a reason for it, so that we know him more deeply. And this is hard, and I know this is hard when we talk to people who suffer. I'm coming back from California, and um, the Sunday before I left, like right as I'm hopping on the plane, my mom calls me and says, your dad um, had to be rushed into uh, to heart surgery. He had to have a pacemaker put in, and my dad's been really having some bad health, and, and, um, and not only just physically, but mentally. And so... I go and I, I had one good day with my dad of, of him recognizing, like having a conversation with me that was, that was a good exchange, that he could talk to me and he was trying to find his words and, and I could, he's suffering and I could see that suffering and, and, you know, I just, I don't even know what to say. And, uh, sorry, he goes and in the midst of it, in the midst of his confusion, he says, it's all right, though, because I know Christ. I know Christ. And so his suffering was me meant something different for him. It meant, means something different for us. This is real, tangible stuff. This isn't pie-in-the-sky stuff. We know Christ more, and we avoid suffering at all costs. We're missing out on knowing Christ in an intimate way. We also see as Christ-centered citizens, we humbly acknowledge we haven't spiritually arrived. Verse 12 says, Not that I have 
already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Verse 13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul is a spiritual giant. He's a spiritual superstar. And he's saying, I haven't obtained this goal. You're not going to obtain this goal on earth. As a matter of fact, even when we're out of this, this, this world and we're in, on into the next, we're in the very presence of Christ, one great thing about heaven is we'll know Christ more and more each and every single day. And he says, I haven't arrived there yet. And so for us, we must never adopt the idea of becoming spiritual snobs, as if we've arrived. Like we got it all together. Because we, we don't, and we never will. So we have no basis for that. That's Paul's calling, calling us out on that. We also see as Christ-centered citizens, we pursue a greater knowledge of Christ with passion. Verse 12, he says, But I press on, I strive with intention to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on towards the goal or the aim to win the prize. The goal in life is greater knowledge of Christ. The prize is Christ. Christ is not some means to an end on this earth. Christ is the means and he is the end. And we live this life with passion for Christ. My biggest pet peeve is when people say the Christian life is so boring. I'm like, you don't know Christ. He's not a boring God. We live a passionate life for him. passionate life. It's never boring when we're living a life of Christ and we get to know him more and more each day. The Christ-centered uh, citizen, as a Christ-centered citizen, we pursue a greater knowledge of Christ by forgetting our spiritual, our past spiritual failures or accomplishments. That doesn't mean we don't think about God's providence and how he's brought us through here, but look, listen to Paul, verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting or dismissing from my mind what is behind and straining towards what's ahead. I exert every effort or energy at the utmost to move forward. When we look back on our spiritual failures or our, our spiritual triumphs, and we rest in those, or we're discouraged by those, it does us no good. How many of you ever saw, saw the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah. You remember Uncle Rico? Uncle Rico, if you've never seen the movie, Uncle Rico is this guy, he's, he, he was a, like a football star in the 80s, and now he's like a 40-something-year-old guy, and he's still talking about what happened in high school. He's like, oh yeah, I could throw that football way over that mountain. And he's, he's like talking about it, and that's all he talks about is the good old days in high school. And for us, we sometimes do that as believers in Christ. We say, you remember that church I grew up in? Oh, that church was the best. I grew so spiritually in there. We try to recapture that. Or, you know, we have these spiritual, these, these mountaintop experiences. And we say, oh, you know, I really grew when I did this. Or we go on a, on a missions trip and we say, you know, that was a spiritual mountaintop for us. And Paul says, those are all good things, but move forward. Move forward. There's something greater in there for you. You can't recreate what happened before. It's not going to happen. He says, move forward. Because when we don't, when we look back, we're paralyzed. We don't move. Have, you, have any of you, you guys, anyone a motorcycle rider? No. So when you ride a motorcycle, they say wherever you look is where you're going to turn the motorcycle. And so that's why you're, you're, where you're headed, I mean, it's important. And so when you look this way, you naturally turn that way. And so if you're looking back on spiritual triumphs or what things used to be like, you're not going to be moving forward. 
As as Christ-centered citizens, we are never to lose the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, he says, Christ Jesus took a hold of me. He acquired me through his efforts. He says in verse 14, God has called me to a heavenward in Christ Jesus. As Christ-centered citizens of heaven that live on this earth, we never lose the wonder of the gospel. The wonder of the gospel that Christ, Christ took a hold of me? You mean, I, 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 can't, I can't have any credit for this? No, you have no credit for this. Christ took a hold of you. Why, because you're so lovable? Absolutely not. Just ask the person next to you. They'll tell you sometimes you're not lovable. No, because he first loved us in our sin when we were enemies. He took hold of us. And he came down and he lived a perfect and righteous life and was nailed to a cross. But three days later, he was resurrected. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we live in his righteousness. And God sees his righteousness when he sees us. And we live in the truth of that gospel that Christ took a hold of us. And we're heaven-bound. We're moving towards heaven. That's what this life is about. That's what this life is about. So that's the, the first thing where Christ-centered citizenship. The second thing is Christ-honoring citizenship. Everything we do in this life is for the praise and the honor and the glory for Jesus Christ. And as Christ-honoring citizens, we seek Christian maturity and live up to our calling. We're called to seek that maturity. Verse 15 says, All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that to God, make it clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. That phrase, let us live up to what we've already attained, is a military term. It's a military term. It really means to fall in line. It means to get in a proper battle formation with your fellow soldiers. And it reminds me of new Marines. Marines that just came out of boot camp, you could tell who the new Marines are. Because when, you're, when they're not called to attention, they're kind of like, they're resorting back to their old ways in high school and they're kind of acting like, well, they're acting like 18 and 19 year olds. And they're just kind of all over the place and then as soon as the, the sergeant comes up there and he says, fall in! They all of a sudden snap to and they kind of scurry around like ants and then they finally fall in. But there's like this discomfort there for a while because they're still figuring it out. They're, they're seeking to fall in properly, but they don't really remember how to. And so Paul says we should seek this maturity. We should seek to fall in to the calling that we've been called to on this earth. We also see as Christ-honoring citizens, we should follow Christ-like examples. Verse 17, it says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Or or he says, establish this pattern of life that is Christ-like. We are all imitators. My little nephew Douglas loves watching YouTube videos, and when he was really little, uh, we would catch him imitating commercials that he saw on YouTube, like toy commercials. And we're just naturally imitators. That's what we do. And it, would be, it was interesting going back to the formation idea of the young Marines. 
when you when you had a formation that was with old Marines and new Marines, Marines that had been around for a while, the new Marines, the new Marines always kept their eyes on the older Marines to see what to do. So you would say, fall in, and they would look at the older Marines, and the older Marines knew exactly what to do. They were very smooth, and they'd come, and they'd snap to it, and all the young guys would, would fall in right next, next to them. And, and Paul's saying, follow good, godly, Christ-like examples in our life, and we'll fall in line when we do that. He says, as Christ-honoring citizens, we should stop following worldly examples, or as he calls, enemies of the cross. Verse 18, he says, For, as I often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. What he's saying here is their God is their stomach is that they're all about their, their lustful appetites. If they're hungry, they eat. If they, if they want some sort of pleasure, they go and get it. It's really this hedonistic kind of life. And he says, and their glory is their shame. They, they boast in things that you should be embarrassed about or you should be shameful about. And you just need to turn on the TV or go on Facebook or, or look at that, and you see, these, you see people boasting in things, and you're like, how can you boast in that? That's shameful. But yet, they boast in that. And Paul is saying that their mind is set on earthly things. They're, they're set on the next big thing or the next big scandal or, or obtaining whatever in this life that they can. And Paul's saying that we honor Christ when we are distinct from this world. Our purpose is to know and honor Christ. That's our purpose. And when we follow the world, our Christian witness, our joy will be destroyed. And we settle for something less. And I think this is where our thinking goes wrong here. We often think, oh, Christianity is this idea of, like, it's rules. Like, you just follow the rules and you're good. And it's all about not having. Like, you can't have this, you can't have that, you can't have this. And so we're just supposed to live these monastic lives with robes and walking around and being all dreary. And that's not, that's not the point here at all. Paul said, you're, 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 you're settling for something less. Because until Christ, the joy in Christ that we have is of a higher place, in your mind, in your heart, and those things, like, there's a problem. You're always going to be struggling with that. But Christ is better. Christ is better than all that stuff. Yes, the delicacies of the world are pleasurable. Let's not, you know, when I was growing up, you know, my parents would always be like, oh, don't do that. That's wrong. That's not good for you. But what they never told you was like, but, you know, it's good. Like, it feels good. So let's just call it what it is. Those things feel good. However, they're empty. They're empty. And knowing Christ, honoring Christ, thriving in our relationship with Christ is more pleasurable. Maybe you say, well, why? I don't get this. How could this be possible? Because when we are honoring Christ, when we're thriving in our relationship with Christ, we are doing what we were created to do. When you do something that you're created to do, like a, a vocation or, or a parenting or whatever, you feel like, I'm in the right place. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And as those created in the image of God, when we are honoring Christ here on this earth, and we're thriving in our relationship with Christ, the result is joy because we are doing what we were created to do, which is enjoy Christ. And that joy is, is unbelievable. About in 2008, I, 
I was on this kick of wanting to lose weight. I'm not really on that kick that much more, but um, I was really on this kick. I wanted to lose weight. And so I started working out a lot. And I wasn't dropping a pound. And I'm just like, what is going on? I was watching what I was eating. I'm not dropping a pound. I don't know what's going on here. Well, I drink a lot of coffee. And I used to drink a lot of coffee with sugar and cream. And so I ended up kind of counting the calories, and I realized that I was consuming like almost 2,000 calories a day with coffee. Because <laughs> I put that much sugar and creamer in there. And would you not believe it, it's a miracle, but as soon as I stopped putting creamer and sugar, I dropped like 10 pounds within like a month. The point is, is what you consume, you become. What you consume, you become. We think that we could consume the delicacies of the world and not be affected by it, but it's, it's not possible because we're imitators. I want to encourage you to go home tonight, maybe with your spouse, maybe by yourself, maybe with your kids, maybe with the friends, and examine what you're consuming in your life and who you're imitating and determine if that is Christ-honoring or are you settling for less. And I can't tell you what that is. That's going to be something you need to discuss and, and read God's word and reconcile that with him. We don't want to be legalistic on that. So that's the second thing. Finally, I want to look at our Christ-bound citizenship. Everything we do in this life is in the confidence and assurance of our heavenly destination. And there's power in that. And as Christ-bound citizens, we are to live out our heavenly culture now. We're not to wait. We see verse 20 says, But our citizenship, our true government, our loyalty is in heaven. Eric and I like to go to this place called Solvang. Solvang's in California. It's like this little Dutch or Danish village in the middle of Southern California. And it's really interesting. Everything is this, this Danish village. And um, it's kind of cool. It's like a world... It's like a world within, like, it's, it's crazy. It's like you're transported back to the old country. And when people would visit Philippi, they would think they were visiting Rome. It was like a mini Rome. And Paul's made it clear to, to the, the church of Philippi that when, and to us, that when people come into our presence, they should feel this sense of heaven. They should get a taste of heaven when they're around us. The author and apologist C.S. Lewis writes, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. You see, effectiveness is fueled by loyalty, and loyalty is cultivated in love. And what you love blossoms into experiential knowledge. And so we're called to know our culture so that we could be effective in this world. We're supposed to know our culture. And you say, well, how do I know our culture? How do we know our heavenly culture? Well, it starts by reading his word, being around his people. We have life groups. We have, you can connect with other people. You should be digging in this thing every single day. As Christ-bound citizens, we can risk it all for Christ. Risk it all for Christ. Why? Because we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Why can we risk it all for Christ? Because we have true hope. We actually have true hope. This world isn't it. We're heaven bound. And we could risk it all. We are assured of our destinies. Therefore, we can eagerly serve with abandonment right now. I have friends that love the, the game Settlers of Catan. And any time you go to a person's house that plays Settlers of Catan, they have their own rules, like house rules. And it's never on the box. And so you go there and like, oh, well, this is the rules. And, and depending on your friends, depends on how liquid these rules are. Because sometimes the rules change in mid-game. And you're like, you never said that. Like, can we just play by the rules, like on the box? And see, we live in a world that has these liquid rules. Things change continually. We don't even know. But we don't play by those rules. We're not called to play by those rules. Sometimes we feel tension because we're trying to play by the world's rules, but we're not made or supposed to be playing by their rules. We're supposed to be playing by God's rules in light of our heavenly citizenship. And this is probably the most countercultural thing you could do. I'm not saying... We're called to separate from the culture and say, oh, that's you, this is me. I'm saying we're called to be countercultural. There should be something different about us. It shouldn't be like, oh, you guys are just the same like everyone else. No, because we don't play by the rules. And the most post-Christian our nation becomes and the less relevant our voices become in the public square, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about maintaining face in that public square. And so this allows us to stand out for Christ and say whatever we want in accordance to God's word. And as Christ-bound citizens, we can stand as we do that with dignity and no fear. Verse uh, 4, 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. He says, hold your ground, hold your position, be steadfast, be upright. How? How can we do this? Here's, here's a spoiler alert, all right? Just a spoiler alert. We win. We win. You should be happy about this. You say, we win? Yes. No matter what happens on this earth, we win. If you're not sure, just go to the last book. It's called Revelation. Read. We win. So this allows us to just serve and be different with dignity and no fear right now. And any consequences that we experience, and there are going to be consequences, they're temporary. And Paul gets this. He's in jail. He's saying, listen, this is a temporary consequence. I get it. But I'm heaven bound. I'm heaven bound. And this, you know what? I'm knowing Christ. I know Christ more because of this. We see that knowing Christ, freedom, and joy that is real right now. This is how Paul describes heaven. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 4, he says, I know a man, he's speaking of himself, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. Paul says, 
I went to heaven. I got a glimpse of heaven. It was paradise. But I can't even tell you how good it is because human words do not describe how good it is. So all those books about heaven, Paul says he can't describe it. I'm just saying. He says, it's so good. This is what we have in store for us. And it's time for us to prepare for our futures right now. I'm not talking about preparing for our futures for the last 10 years of life on this earth. I'm talking about preparing for our futures for the next 10 million years and plus after our time on this earth. We're called to prepare for that right now. And I know this is heavy. I know this is heavy. It's like, okay, wow. This is heavy and this is hard. But this is our calling. We've been empowered for this. We've been set free for this. And this is real. So I want you to join me as I close right now. I want you to pray with me. I want to pray, pray that God would just empower us, that he would really implant this deep into our hearts. And when I say pray with me, I mean, really, sit there. Don't just listen to my words. Just pray as I'm praying. Just silently. And ask God to really, as a, individually and as a group, that we would take this seriously. So let's pray. Oh, Father, this is heavy. This is heavy stuff. But this is what you've called us to. And we thank you for calling us to. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us real hope. Hope that you secured on the cross and by the power of your resurrection. And as we process these things, as we process whether or not we're living truly for you and, and in light of our, our heavenly citizenship, I pray that um, you would examine our hearts. We come to you right now with a broken and contrite heart, and we just, we just come down on, the, on, the throne, on your throne of mercy and ask that you would just expose these things, expose our fears, expose our flaws, expose these things that hinder us from knowing you more and living in the light of our heavenly citizenship. Give us the strength. Give us the endurance. May you bring those that encourage us along this journey. May we encourage one another on this journey. And we just pray for this, Lord, and we thank you for, for the family of Christ that you've given us. May we look forward and not be paralyzed in the past. May we serve with, with dignity and no fear, because there is no fear in Christ Jesus. And so we pray for that. May your spirit guide us in this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.